0: Okay, welcome to Ephesians and Philippians you know, Craig DeHutt and I will be teaching this and uh, we've kind of got it split up uh, you have to put up with me for the first two weeks mm-hmm. then I'll be gone for a couple of weeks but we've got it uh, figured out where we've uh, we've got things pretty well covered and we, uh, we talked about Maybe doing Philippians first, but decided to do Ephesians first. So uh, we will start off with Ephesians, and first off, who was the book of Ephesians written to? (laughs) That's holy people living in Ephesus. Okay, how do we know that? Okay, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, would it change your mind any if you knew that the words in Ephesus probably weren't in the original? Uh, The earliest manuscripts don't have in Ephesus there so there's actually some controversy over whether this was written to the saints at Ephesus or not Uh, have any of you heard about any of those Uh, there is a uh, a particular place other than Ephesus that uh, is the popular second choice Anybody know? Look over in uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Uh, There was an early church father, uh, Marcion, who was pretty adamant, this was not written to saints in Ephesus, but to saints in Laodicea. Now, he's the only one that said that. All the other church fathers, there didn't seem to be any question. Uh, And it's always the title, now the title was not inspired, but the title uh, always said Ephesians. But some of his arguments, uh, he says that this letter is more impersonal than any of other Paul's letters. Uh, He didn't salute any Christians by name at the end of the letter like he did in several of his epistles, nor did he send personal greetings from those that he was associated with like he did in some of the other letters. Now Paul knew the church at Ephesus well. He probably spent more time at Ephesus with those Christians than with any other Christians, and we'll actually uh, see that in a little while. Uh, but he does talk about uh, in like Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 as an example uh, says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Uh, Marsonian said that uh, him talking about hearing of their faith sounds like somebody he didn't know firsthand. And that would not, the Ephesians would not qualify for that. He also uses a similar statement in Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 2. It says, if indeed uh, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which is given to me for you. So, uh, that caused him to conclude that it must have been written to the Laodiceans. Uh, now, Marsonian also, in his translation, uh changed several other words in the book which doesn't quite ring true to those of us who believe in uh uh the uh, plenary inspiration of the scriptures uh and this guy lived in the second century but like i said none of the other church fathers you know agreed with him so uh I don't know that that's a very reasonable conclusion given the evidence. Uh, And in fact, the answer for why he would say he had heard of their faith, it had been about five years since he'd been to Ephesus uh, when he wrote the book. Uh, So it would have been pretty natural for him to speak of hearing of some things, uh, after being away for that law. Uh, and the other thing that, uh, that would help to explain how it was a little more impersonal, uh, if you look there in verse 1 of chapter 1 that we read just a little bit ago, and if you take out at Ephesus, and uh, you know, the last part, to the saints who are, if you take out at Ephesus, and then in italics, in the New American Standard Version is who are, if you take those out, it would be to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, And so that's some indication that he saw this as being distributed more widely in that area. And, by the way, what area of the world was Ephesus in? Does anybody know? Asia. Yeah, Asia. Uh, we would call that Asia Minor today. Yeah. Uh, modern day Turkey. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> so it, it appears quite possible that uh, he was intending this to be distributed to the churches in that area. And there were several. Uh, in that area. So, what do we know about Ephesus, the city? It was in Asia. It was considered to be the greatest city in Asia. Uh, It was located on the Aegean Sea, where the Kaster River flows into it. And all the roads... (coughs) going west to Europe from the Euphrates area, Mesopotamia area. They all ran through Ephesus. Uh, So it was an area that a lot of people visited. A lot of people passed through. They also had some uh, famous athletic games uh, of Asia that were conducted there every year it was founded about 1100 BC uh, by some Ionian colonists Uh, and about 550 BC the Temple of Diana was constructed and that was probably its claim to fame Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute Uh, it was under Persian control until the Greek armies uh, defeated the Persians there uh, around 480 BC then became a Roman city in uh, 133 BC. It was, under Rome, it was a free city, which means they were allowed to basically self-govern as long as they didn't, uh, you know, do things that would upset the Romans, or you know, try to uh, declare their independence. Uh, it was the seat of the courts in Asia Minor, the home of the proconsul for the entire region. Uh, region. And uh, today, some of the ruins of the old city of Ephesus are among the most spectacular of the biblical cities. And I strongly suspect Craig will have some pictures for you. <laughs> Uh, ah, he's the high tech guy, I'm low tech. <laughs> but uh I suspect he will uh will have some uh some pictures. So uh you can look forward to that. Because I know he's been in that area uh, and has taken pictures and video and stuff like that. Okay. Uh what do we know about Ephesus from the scriptures? Uh if we turn turn to the book of Acts, we will find uh, quite a bit about Paul and Ephesus. Uh, they first uh came together, it appears. Uh at Acts chapter eighteen. Uh, and In verse 19, says, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. This is talking about Paul. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. This is like the completion of his second missionary journey. So he didn't stay long then. Uh, But he did, on that journey, meet Aquila and Priscilla, Christians that were in Italy uh, and had to leave because the Jews... Uh, were commanded to leave Rome and Paul and Priscilla and Aquila had some things in common basically they were this, of the same uh, craft they were tent makers and Aquila and Priscilla stayed in Ephesus and we pick up the reading uh, in later in Acts 18 in verse 24 it says now a certain Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately Uh, and when he had wanted to go across to Achaia the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him and when he had arrived he helped greatly those who had believed through grace for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ so in Ephesus Apollos learned the way of the Lord he only knew about the baptism of John didn't hadn't heard about the baptism of Jesus and Priscilla and Aquila uh, were able to inform him of that and he then uh, was able to teach that and Apollos says was a very eloquent man so that happened at, at Ephesus and then uh Also in Ephesus, uh, in chapter 19 in Acts, uh, starting verse 1, says, It came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who were coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began Uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying and they were in all about 12 men so another thing that happened in Ephesus some disciples who were like Apollos only heard of the baptism of John they also became Christians and this was the beginning of Paul staying for a considerable period of time in Ephesus uh, picking up in verse 8 of Acts 19 and, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God but when some who were becoming hardened and disobedient speaking evil of the way before the multitude uh, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, Paul was there for two plus years, and a lot was accomplished, because it says all who lived in that area heard the word of the Lord. So, a lot of good happened while Paul was there at Ephesus. And no doubt, he continued to teach the brethren there. And they were considered at one time to be one of the strongest churches. And if you had Paul there instructing you for that long, it's not, uh, not a surprise. But you might say all good things must come to an end <laughs> uh, but prior to that there was uh, an interesting thing that happened uh, there uh, in verse 11 God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul Uh so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out so apparently Paul didn't even have to lay hands on some people to heal them just something carried from his body to the sick was enough to do it but then uh, there were some Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches uh, and seven sons of one Sceva a Jewish chief priest were doing this and then notice the response from the evil spirits they were trying to cast out As the evil spirits answered and said to them I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul but who are you <laughs> and then it says the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded that would have been quite the thing to see and that was in Ephesus and that had quite the impact on the people there Says, and this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be fifty thousand pieces of silver. (coughs) So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So, as a result of what Paul did there and what the evil spirit saying, yeah, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but just because you, you know, call those names, that doesn't mean you're from them. As a result of that, there were many more that believed and says they confessing and disclosing their practices they practiced magic so black magic I think we would call that today and these people were truly converted because they took their books brought them and burned them and it says the price of them was 50,000 pieces of silver how much is that?
1: a lot (laughs) a lot Uh,
0: the pieces of silver were probably Greek drachmas a drachma was equivalent to a day's wage so 50,000 days wages that's a lot they should have gone
1: to half price
0: books (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah if you want to do the math if you say a day's wage is a hundred dollars today which is probably low uh, but that would be five million dollars so a lot so A lot of things went on in Ephesus, but then uh, there was quite the disturbance that went on at the end of Paul's time there. Uh, Look in Acts 19, starting in verse 23, uh, and actually reading through the end of the chapter. Do I have a volunteer to read that? You want
1: to... Starting where? Yeah,
0: starting in verse 23.
1: 23. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance considering the way. For a man named uh, Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines at Aramaeus, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said... Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon their business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis, be re- regarded as worthless and that she who all of asia and the world worship will ever be dethroned from her magnificence when they heard this they were filled with rage they began crying out saying great as artemis of ephesus the city was filled with confusion and they rushed with one accord to the theater dragging along gaius and artiticus paul's traveling companions from macedonia And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the uh, our uh, Asia Asia,
0: Asiarchs, (laughs) Asiarchs, who were
1: friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was extending, it, intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from, from them as they shouted about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. After, the, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there, after all, after all, who does not know the city of Ephesus is guardian to the temple of the Great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So, since there are undeniable facts, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do not do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers (coughs) of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen go are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session, and pro are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed we are in danger of being accursed of uh, accused of a riot in connection with today's events since there is no real cause for it and in this connection we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering after saying this he disassembled the assembly dismissed the assembly
0: okay thank you Phil Uh, this was uh, quite a disturbance and kind of as a little background to this uh, the in Ephesus was the temple of Diana which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world Uh, I've got some statistics on it 425 feet in length which is about one and a third football fields for those who are football fans 220 feet wide was surrounded by 120 columns each standing 60 feet high That was quite the temple. Uh, And there was a lot that went on at that temple. Uh, It was a center of immorality because the right of asylum was granted to any who entered. So anybody could go in, regardless of how they lived or what crime they committed, and they were safe there so you can imagine what kind of riffraff uh, assembled there Uh, they say that this quote house of worship served as home to hundreds of sacred prostitutes uh, who were ironically identified as priestesses of Diana Now, Diana was supposedly a virgin who demanded virginity of her attendants, but obviously these prostitutes did not uh, go along with that. Uh, So that's a little background. Now, if you'll notice uh, what Phil read, talks about Artemis and Diana. Does anybody know the difference between those two? Anybody up on their mythology? Yeah, Anne? This
1: is just the Greek and Roman.
0: Yes, Diana was Roman. Was the daughter of Jupiter, who was the king of the the gods. We're at least I am, and I think most of us probably a little more familiar with Greek mythology. Artemis was the daughter of Zeus, and Zeus was, you know, the king of the gods. So, really, Diana and Artemis were synonymous, depending on whether you were looking at Greek or Roman mythology. So, that's a little background. But this disturbance gets started how? They were worried about the preaching of Paul. Who was worried?
1: Uh, this uh, uh, Demetrius. Yeah. It Demetrius. Start, it
0: Demetrius, started
1: yeah. by greed. Yeah.
0: Yes, it did. <laughs> greed is the source of a lot of bad stuff. Uh, but Demetrius, he w- says he was a silversmith and he made silver shrines of Artemis or Diana and people would buy those things I mean people would come to see this temple I mean it was some great wonder and so and like most good tourists they buy you know things to remember it by Yeah, you know, we do the same thing you know we go to some tourist place and there's gift shops, and we tend to buy stuff. Uh, and they were making a really good living. They were making a lot of money. And uh, Demetrius wasn't the only one. He had. There were other craftsmen who uh, were uh, doing well. They were prospering, and he kind of sees, hey, if Paul is successful in what he's doing then people are going to come to worship here at this temple and our uh, our money tree is gonna dry up yeah. I
1: think that's what's impressive about it is he was successful because they were seeing that Paul was and his yeah. companions were convincing people right. that there was no there were no fake gods only a real right. God so that's why they were afraid uh-huh.
0: yeah yeah good point.
1: And to add to that, it's almost like these men even were admitting that they knew it was not true. <laughs> right? they're, like, they're the people making these golden images, right?
0: Yeah, and you think about it, the person who makes an idol, deep down inside has to know that there's nothing to it. Uh, yeah, I think it's in the book of Isaiah, it talks about, yeah. This guy takes a, a piece of wood and cuts it in two, and with half of it he makes this idol, and the other half he he burns to warm himself and cook his food. And it's yeah. just chance that you know this one half got burned up, and the other half he makes an idol and then worships it. So, uh, yeah, that that's a good point. That uh, I think deep down inside they knew there was really nothing to it either, but they saw that their business. Uh, yeah it started to go away and, and could completely go away and so they didn't want that and so they create this uproar and it says they begin to cry out great is Artemis of the Ephesians and that got a response it says the city was filled with confusion they rushed with one accord into the theater dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus you know two people that had come with Paul from Macedonia uh, and then verse 32 this, this really gets me too it says so then some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what cause they'd come together <laughs> it's like I don't know why I'm here but it's it's the place to be Everybody in the uh, in the city seems to be here, and so uh, most people didn't even know why they were there. But they were creating quite an uproar. And uh, then Alexander, uh, a Jew, when he tries to uh, speak to the assembly. They see they recognize him as a Jew, and for two hours, shout greatest Artemis of the Ephesians well then this town clerk a city official comes along and what does he do yeah, yeah it's like hey guys need to settle down here uh, yeah we're a free city but if we have a riot, The Romans aren't going to like that. And we're not going to have any good excuse, really, for having this riot. So, uh, you know, we need to calm down. Uh, I mean, these men, they haven't (coughs) robbed the temple. I mean, they're not criminals. And, you know, you craftsmen, if you've got a you know, a legal matter with them, you know, the courts are open. You know, take him to court. And so he dismissed the assembly. And uh that was kind of the end of Paul's time in Ephesus, because then he uh the first verse of chapter twenty he leaves, goes to Macedonia. Uh and then uh, Paul does come back later in chapter 20 uh, he had determined to sail past Ephesus but couldn't quite do it he wanted to speak to the elders one last time and they actually came and met him in Miletus and we find his farewell address to them uh starting in verse 17 of chapter 20 and you know we won't take the time to read that because time is moving on uh, but this was probably his last time to meet with anyone from Ephesus and uh, it became an emotional uh, meeting at the end because Paul says I'm probably not going to see any of you again and uh, they certainly had a love for one another uh, we do find out a little bit more about uh, Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Uh, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, the first of the messages to the seven churches of Asia that are revealed in Revelation chapter 2 and, and chapter 3 Um uh, The first seven verses in Revelation chapter 2 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, have been endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. So, it says a lot of good things about it. Yeah, you're, you've done a lot of good. But, but I have this against you, that you have left, left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who, has an ear to, he, he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of, of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, he exhorts them, yeah, you've been faithful, you need to remain faithful, but he also saw them as declining that they didn't have that love and that zeal that they once had and so John uh, by inspiration encourages them to uh, uh, repent and do the deeds that you did at first so that's pretty much what we know from the scriptures about (laughs) Ephesus and the church there uh there are a few things that tradition says take it for what it's worth Uh, we know that uh, from 1st Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 when Paul went to Macedonia he exhorted Timothy to remain at Ephesus Uh, tradition has it that after Paul's final arrest and imprisonment that Timothy settled in Ephesus and became an elder of the church there tradition also says that the apostle John was in Ephesus when he was exiled to Patmos by Domitian around AD 95 and then returned to the city when Domitian left power, Uh, Nerva came to the throne about AD 97 And he's thought to have died of natural causes at Ephesus uh, around A.D. 100 at the ripe age of 94. So, that's what tradition says. Uh, There isn't much question who wrote Ephesians, and uh, we've referred to uh, Paul as the writer several times. Uh, he identifies himself <laughs> right off the bat in the very first verse. Uh, he also identifies himself again in uh, in chapter three and verse one. Uh, so there isn't uh, much question about that. Uh, as far as where he was when he wrote the epistle. Uh, most likely it was during the latter part of his first imprisonment in Rome, uh, which that was between 62 and 64 AD, so probably around 64. Uh, during the time that uh, Acts 28 and verse 30 says that he dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came to him. He was basically under house arrest. And uh, probably wrote Ephesians then uh, and uh, probably also wrote Colossians at that time and in fact the two letters might have been uh, delivered by uh, Tychicus and Onesimus uh, that are mentioned in Colossians so they could well have delivered the letter to the Ephesians at the same time Ah. Uh, We've got a few minutes left, Uh, so I want to talk about some of the themes uh, in the book of Ephesians, and obviously we're going to get into that in more detail uh, as we study the book. But uh, one of the things that we find uh, in Ephesians, there's an explanation of God's great plan of salvation with particular emphasis upon God's purpose for the church Uh, in Ephesians Paul explains more fully that the unity of all Christians in one spiritual body complements the mission of Christ and fulfills the great scheme of human redemption in none of his other epistles has Paul explained in such magnificent terms the wonderful design of God in bringing all nations together under the heavenly influence of Christ uh, Ephesians and, and actually Philippians as well are two of my favorite books I mean they're very upbeat they're very encouraging uh, even though Paul was most likely in prison when he wrote those books but it's still uh, very encouraging Uh in it, he says, "The world lives in wickedness, and you know, there's no doubt. It's that way, then it's certainly that way now. And whether we realize it or not, our greatest and most basic need is reconciliation with God. We need to have our sins forgiven, our guilt removed. Uh, we need." To have a spiritual focus, and Ephesians explains how God planned for that from the very beginning, and that all men would be brought together in Christ, in the church, which is his, which is His body. Uh, so, it talks about the eternal plan for human redemption. Talks about the blessings that we receive, especially the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ and the expression in Christ is found some 30 times in the book of Ephesians that's a lot it's a short book it doesn't take long to read in fact, I'd encourage each of you this week try to read the book of Ephesians doesn't take long I read it last week plan to read it again this week so uh, but watch for the expression in Christ because you'll find that a lot uh, one of the wonderful things about God and his plans they happen I mean we as men we make plans too there's nothing wrong with that but you ever notice how your plans can change yeah I mean I'm sure we can all think of times when we had planned something that didn't happen Uh, especially the last year and a half but with God it's not that way when God plans something his plans are as good as actions those things will happen and he planned before the creation his plan for redeeming man and these plans have not failed thousands of years have passed since he made those plans millions of people have come and gone billions of people even but yet all of God's unconditional plans have come to pass and we are heirs of the greatest of these the plan of salvation and Ephesians I think helps us to appreciate God's eternal plan in Christ God is most interested in our spiritual well-being not our physical and social happiness those things are are secondary I mean just look at the list just from chapter 1 of blessings attributed to the riches of his grace Verse 4, He chose us. Verse 5, He adopted us. Verse 7, He redeemed us and forgave us. Verse 9, He revealed the mystery of His will to us. Verse 10, He gathered us together in one body. Verse 11, He provided an inheritance for us. None of that is talking about material prosperity or physical welfare. but we're rich because he's done that for us spiritually he's planned wonderful blessings for us but we'll miss that if we set our affections on the things on the earth and Ephesians points that out to us God's plan for our fulfillment is for us being in Christ And so, it's conditional. We've got to do something to be in Christ. You know, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 talk about how we can receive those blessings. The great goal of God's planning is man's salvation. Uh... Ephesians 2 explains that God is so full of love that although we were dead in sin, he raised us up to sit with him in the spiritual realm. We are saved by grace. We all deserve to die eternally. Nothing we can could possibly do can merit our salvation. Only God can save us. And that is what he planned to do on condition that we respond through faith and become his workmanship. So, God's done his part we need to do our part in order to receive those blessings. And God didn't fully reveal that plan until it was enacted in Christ. But now as first as chapter 3 tells us, we can understand God's plans as fully as Paul did. And that should be exciting to him. And then, God's plan calls for us to mature spiritually and to be united in the truth with all others who are children of God. God gave gifts to help us grow. These gifts are people, functionaries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers designed to equip us for the work of ministering and to build up the body of Christ. God's plan is that each Christian should do his part to cause the whole body to grow in love. So, God's plans are wonderful. And we can be a part of that if we just come to him on his terms. Thank you for your attention, and we will start off with chapter 1 on Wednesday.